welcome to our daily show. Happy Tuesday and congratulations on getting through Monday. If it's your first time joining us on the Tuesday, together with me is Lo Hong. Um, and we're a fun bunch on Hello World. We make your Tuesdays feel like a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> or the weekend, right? Yes, that's right. And speaking of the weekend, Lo Hong, I saw your beautiful pictures on Facebook, on my Facebook feed and I noticed that you've been traveling quite a fair bit. So what's yeah, up? Yeah, that's true. That is true. And uh, you know that in Switzerland, of course, we have uh, restrictions, we have travel restrictions, but nonetheless, we took our Harley and we went uh, a little bit in the south of Switzerland. It was absolutely beautiful. We took a long weekend, uh, a little bit before Easter, but I also took the advantage to uh, watch at videos and I uh, watched some, uh, some, uh, a series of videos about scamming scammers. And this is really cool. I don't know if you know those videos. But basically, there are a whole lot of people who take advantage, especially of old people. And this is absolutely horrible. It makes me like literally sick in my stomach when I see those videos. But nonetheless, there are some tech savvy people who are uh, scamming the scammers, who are reversing the connection, who are starting to delete scammers files uh, and all kinds of things. And uh, it's been quite interesting to watch those. Uh, it's, uh, it's a whole world that I had no idea. I want to actually take that as a hobby when I'm, when I'm retired, you know, like scamming scammers. Uh, it looks really good. But I, I think really the point of us talking about that is like a public service an announcement to all our viewers. Microsoft never calls you. Microsoft support will never call you out of the blue. And that's a, a tactic that those scammers use very often, right? They say, oh, we are Microsoft support. We see you have a virus on your computer. This is fake. Don't take that call. It's a scam. And absolutely make sure that you tell also your grandparents, your parents, right? Anybody who has a computer needs to be careful about that. Mm. You know, Lohan, your story is really apt because for this week's announcement, I was about to mm -hmm. share the Safer Internet Day. So at Microsoft, we have been celebrating it for five years straight. And just last month, we released our survey findings, one that we did with um, 16,000 respondents, over 32 geographies. So the Global Microsoft DCI, which stands for Digital Civility Index, measures mm. the teens and adults' exposure to online risk. So compared to 2019, there is actually an increase in overall civility and more people actually experience experiencing um, positive online interactions. So the Asia-Pacific region, APEC, um, did slightly better than the rest of the world. But um, spoiler alert here, if you haven't read the report, the top five receiving the most favorable DCI index would be Netherlands, UK, US, Singapore, and Taiwan. Wow, I'm a little bit disappointed that Switzerland is not in those top five, but we can do better. And of course, we can always improve online civility. I, I always tell people, and you know, from a very long time ago when I got online, never forget that on the other end of this of the wire, there is actually actually a human person, right? Sometimes we kind of lose track of that on Twitter when we just type. Uh, you know, 140 characters. There is really a human on the other side. You need to act with empathy, with compassion, respect differences. Also, pause before replying. Sometimes I, I'm going to tell you a secret. Sometimes I write a tweet and then I don't send it because suddenly I reread it and then I'm like, ah, you know, that's not me. Uh, make sure to stand up for yourself if you see people being bullied uh, and, of course, for yourself and for others as well. It's true, especially emails as well. People are so quick to send mm -hmm. it out. So more details on the findings um, of the survey can be found at aka.ms Hello World. Also, we mm -hmm. want to quickly go to India. Windows 10 users in India can now access the Power Automate desktop solution at no additional cost. 
Mm -hmm. And Power Automate Desktop is a, it's a low-code solution. Uh, it's going to allow you to build, uh, automate really repetitive tasks, to build flows, and to focus on the higher value work. So like this, both coders and non-coders can optimize their, their workflows, which is really cool. So do you want to share about what we're going to um, have today? Uh, yes, absolutely. So the agenda today, it's Tuesday. So we are going to start with Aaron, who is going to talk to us about a new uh, open source project, which is called Python Fire. And then after that, we are going to have uh, Christina Warren for This Week in Channel 9. Uh, we'll have the audience challenge with Jeremiah. And I hear that he's going to be to, to have a special guest today. So I'm quite, uh, quite uh, interested to see who that is. And finally, we'll have HR, who is going to join us for this special four-week segment that we have about Microsoft Graph and she will talk to us about the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. Mm, we're going to have a good time for sure. So before we dive right in, remember that all that we covered and will be covering in this show will be made available on aka.ms Hello World. And mm -hmm. enough from us, let's have amazing Aaron joining us with OSS Spotlight. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Suze. I hear that you have a surprise for Python developers today. What do you have for us? Yes, today we'll be talking about Python Fire by David Bieber at Google. Uh, he's also at Bieber on Twitter. So Python Fire is a library for automatically generating command line interfaces in Python. And it's extremely popular and has about 18.9 thousand stars on GitHub. Now this can enable someone who may never have built a command line interface in their life to create one with only two lines of code. So in the simplest case, you might be writing a script and you want it to be able to do more than one thing and then Python file will take every function in that script and automatically make it a command that's runnable from the command line. So your CLI can take input by adding parameters to your Python functions and it can also take Python documentation and expose it as help text when people run the CLI so you don't have to tell people exactly how to run your thing. So this is also great for beginners as many might start by writing a CLI tool rather than something for the web such as with Flask, Django or FastAPI. So I've actually learned Python in school, but I'm still not sure what are some things you can use Python Fire for. Yeah, so when I'm prototyping, I might want to start with the simplest part of the app and write that as a CLI tool first. So I might be writing a script that does data processing. David talks about this in a YouTube video where he shares how Fire got started when he was working at Nest, I think it was about 2010 or so. I also have an example of when I was using Python to explore da a pro new project called Dapper. So the TryDapper experience uses the terminal and curl against its REST API. So what I did was take all of those HTTP requests and then use a very popular Python library called requests. Then I allowed it to pass in the parameters and that makes it so much easier because you know all the inputs, all the outputs that you want. Then I simply just take create more functions and that used the Dapper SDK for Python and then that worked just the same way. So this can also be useful for samples or tutorials or labs. Someone might be learning to use Postgres with the Python uh, library for that and it might uh, make it easy for them to explore it they can see every function and it's not hidden in the back end of a web framework and then they can just take that very clean code and then use that somewhere else so those are just two examples that i've included actually today on the landing blog for our spotlight mm. and you mentioned that python fire is great for beginners so how can it help somebody who is new to python like myself yeah, so if you've written, so you might be brand new to Python, or you may never have written a line of Python in your life. And 
I would challenge anybody to try and write a, Python, a CLI tool using Fire because it's just adding two lines of code. Everything else is completely vanilla Python. Uh, it might be the first external Python library you've used outside the standard library. And if you've written a script in Bash or PowerShell or indeed anything trying to automate stuff, you can do this. I bet it will be easier than other things that you might have tried before. So if you go out there and you try and automate something, uh, it's really fantastic. And if you're hacking on something like this, we have plenty of resources, both for learning Python and also for doing this sort of thing as well. So I'd love to help anyone get started. Mm. And so what should I do to learn more and try out? Yeah, so we have a landing page at aka.ms slash hello-oss where you can grab links to Python Fire, David, who is at Bieber on Twitter, and there's even a great video he did there introducing it for women who code. I have a hello world example there, and as well as the other two that I've mentioned, the one for trying Dapper and the one for Py the Python lab for Postgres that we ran at PyCon online last year, so you can kind of see how they uh, fit together. So that's at aka.ms slash hello-oss, and if you're hacking on anything like this, I'd love to hear from you. That's great, Aaron. Thank you so much. That was very clear and concise, and I'm sure all of us learned a great deal. Let's call up Lohong. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing today? It was awesome. So, Aaron, tell me, are you on TikTok? I'm not. Should I be? Well, I, I guess you should. So I just made a, a, an account actually last week because I watched Burke Holland and I watched uh, Kentra Havens do the, uh, you know, the code talk. Now, code talk is taking a short break. It's not going too loud. They are going to get back, but because we have the Microsoft Graph segment. But nonetheless, we have this tradition. We want to share uh, TikToks. And so Kendra actually did a, a video a few, um, um, well, I guess it was a few months ago about running C-sharp on your phone. And this is really cool. It's on the web browser. And this is great if you want to try things out. So make sure to check it out. We'll put the, the link to that in our show note, ak.ms slash hello world. But without further ado, we are going to go into this week in Channel 9 now, and we are going to have Christina sharing with us the latest news for the week. Hey, Christina, how are you doing today? Hey, Laurent. Great to see you. Great to see you. Um, I, I'm Christina Warren. I'm a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, and this is This Week on Channel 9, which is a show where I go through kind of like the segment, I guess, uh, where I go through like the latest things happening in the dev space, latest news, latest releases, that kind of thing. It's also about what shirts I'm wearing, because let's be honest, that's what everyone really cares about. So this week I'm wearing a GitHub hoodie. Um, but uh, but on to the bigger news. The first really, really big news is that Project Reunion 0.5 was released. And this is a really big milestone release. And so if you're not familiar, what Project Reunion is, is that it is basically, um, it was announced at, at Microsoft Build 2020. And it's kind of a way to unify the way that developers have been building Windows apps, both on like the Win32 platform, which goes way, way back, and with the, the UWP platform. And there were some, um, you know, complications, I think, for people to try to modernize their their um, older apps to work with UWP didn't always work correctly. And so what Project Reunion basically does is it says, okay, you can use the more modern interface features like WinUI 3, and um, but you can still have it supported with those, those Win32 apps. And so 0.5 is available now. It does require MSIX packages. So you, you need to release it in a package format, although that will change in the future. But um, the big news is that it supports Win um, a, a UI 3.0 out of the box, which is great. So if you have, are a Windows developer, 
check out the show notes in the description because this is good stuff. And the next thing I want to talk about kind of on that same note is I want to talk about the Uno platform, which just released version 3.6. And the Uno platform, if you're not familiar, is a um, platform for building um, cross-platform apps um, in C Sharp or XAML that will run on Mac, Windows, Linux, or uh, iOS, Android, and um, even like on the web using um, a, a web view, um, or excuse me, web assembly. And uh, with the, the 3.6 version on day zero, they are supporting when um, UI 3.0 because of Project Reunion. So check out um, uh, the Uno platform. It's a, a really cool project. It's open source, um, but um, and, it, and it's a good way to cross develop stuff. The next thing that I want to talk about, and this is actually apt because it kind of fits what Laurent and, and, and uh, Suze were talking about at the top of the show with wanting to make sure that you can be safe from scammers and things like that, is we talk about security. And we talk about security a lot on this show. Um, Microsoft has a number of bug bounty programs, which basically means that if a, a white hat a security expert finds a flaw or um, a, a vulnerability with one of our platforms, they can submit the bug. And, and if it's deemed um, serious enough, get some cash. A new bug bounty has been released for the Microsoft Teams platform, which is great because we all spend so much more time in Teams. So I've got a link to that in the show notes and the description. And if you are like a white hat hacker and you want to get paid, and we like both of those things, be sure to check that out. The next thing I want to talk about, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but um, two PowerShell modules are now generally available in the PowerShell gallery. And this is Secret Management and Secret Store. And what's cool about these is that if you have wanted a way to manage your secrets um, across your dev environment and across the different things that you use locally, and you've also wanted a way to store things locally so that you're not committing your secrets, you're not like accidentally um, leaking stuff, these are great PowerShell modules. You definitely want to check out. And I've got links to the show notes in the description down below for those as well. And the next thing I want to talk about is uh, a very cool thing from GitHub. They are now doing automatic uh, table of contents from the GitHub readme, which is super cool. So you don't have to adjust any of your code. It follows like the standard kind of markdown constraints. So it'll kind of notice based on your headings, it'll, it'll build a really great table of contents for you. This works with GitHub and GitHub Enterprise. It's only working in the root directory right now, but it's possible that that might open up. But um, uh, the team wants your feedback, so check that out. And next up, uh, I want to give a shout out. Microsoft Edge for Linux now has support for syncing favorites and signing in. And so, yes, Microsoft Edge is available on Linux. And it has been in um, the dev previews for a couple of months now. And now it has the ability you can sign in with a personal Microsoft account. So it doesn't work with a corporate account yet. And you can have your favorites and your browsing history synced across platforms, which is awesome. I also want to give a shout out to Scott. Hanselman, everyone's favorite developer, who wrote a really great post on his blog this week about how you can set up um, the start menu, like basically a shortcut to launch you directly into a specific shell in Windows Terminal. And the scenario that Scott describes is one that I faced a lot, which is I want to open a specific shell. But I like Windows Terminal. So usually what I would have to do is I would have to like open up Windows Terminal, then select my shell. Uh, but sometimes if I'm using uh, like the, the power toys to like do a quick open of something, and I type in like CMD and I open up the command prompt, it's going to open up like the old school command prompt and not in Windows Terminal. Scott shows you how you can actually make that work, which is really great. And now it is time for my pick of the week. 
speaking of the Windows terminal, speaking of nerdy things, these are all stuff, things that we really love. Uh, the GitHub Twitter account again comes through with us. They shared um, this really cool project that's available on GitHub. We've got a link in the show notes, the description for some WSL retro shaders. And basically what this does is this is gonna allow you to add some really nerdy CRT old school terminal goodness to your modern Windows terminal. I love it, it's completely awesome. So that does it for me, back to you, Suze. Hey, that was amazing, Christina, so much in such a little time. So up next, we have Jeremiah and this week's audience challenge. Hey, Jeremiah. Hey, Suze, how are you? I'm great, welcome back. So last week, you and Abel um, introduced the audience to Azure DevOps. What topic are we discussing this week? So this week, we're going to talk about one of the more interesting pieces of Azure tech that I got to work with during the last Ignite tour, and that's the Azure bot service. So the Azure bot service is used by developers and companies and anyone who wants to leverage conversational AI to do really basic things like answering questions, automating common interactions. Um, we can get more advanced with it as we go, but these are all things that we're trying to use to help customers and users. And today, the Azure bot service processes somewhere over 30 million messages a day. And we've got over 300,000 devs that are in there using the platform. And as you can see from the graphic that we've got put up there, the biggest draws to the developers are gonna be the flexibility. We can have lots of different user inputs. We can sit inside lots of different channels, but also the flexibility of being able to bring together all of the AI and ML services that are available in Azure specifically into a platform that just makes this even more valuable. So I know that everybody out there can think of where they've run into bots, but where we see customers building bots are gonna be things like internal environments. So knowledge bases, document retrieval, help desk questions, those sorts of things. But we're seeing more and more of these that are interacting with both users and more advanced business processes. So think about things like booking a table at your uh, at your local restaurant or hair appointments or things where you don't necessarily need a human to be able to manage that process. You just need to have the logic to be able to look at the business process and then allow users uh, to interact with it. So making payments, full retail recommendation pools, those sorts of things. Uh, we've got lots of different types of uh, bots that are being built and being used in different uh, in different places. Now, of course, anytime you have something that is highly automated, there's always the possibility for interesting behavior. Uh, and bots are absolutely no exception to this. So one of the most interesting stories that we have in this space is about a bot named Tay and how Tay became a racist in less than a day on Twitter. So for those of you who don't know, this happened back in 2016, uh, actually almost exactly five years ago this week. And Tay was an artificial intelligence chatterbot that was created by Microsoft, was released on Twitter, and Tay was given the language pattern of a 19-year-old American girl. And the idea was to have the bot learn by interacting with human users. Now, anyone who's been on Twitter for more than 10 straight minutes can tell you that this was a terrible idea that was going to go sideways, but I think everybody was surprised how quickly it happened. Uh, Tay lasted less than 16 hours online uh, before she got pulled off, and that was basically the end of this experiment. Now, to get more backstory, I figured what we needed was someone who was our resident expert on all things pop culture. We've already brought Bieber into the conversation once earlier, 
And if we're going to talk about Tay, there's just no way that Christina Warren wasn't going to uh, pop back in and help us out with this. So, Christina, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I am a, an, a Tay expert, but a different type of Tay, to be clear. Taylor Swift, <laughs> uh, not uh, chatbots run amok. But uh, yeah, this was... Twitter was a mistake. The internet was a mistake. Never tweet, except if you're taking our, our Twitter challenge, of course. Um, but this was a really good learning experience, I think, right? Because we learned really quickly kind of how these sorts of bots can be corrupted if things aren't built into the framework correctly and how things can be abused. Like one of the things that happened with Tay was that there was a feature like a repeat after me feature where where people would say, hey, Tay, you know, repeat after me and then make Tay say really, really terrible things. And uh, which is which we don't want. And yeah, as you said, in 16 hours, it went from like this like happy, lucky, you know, 19 year old, you know, girl full of like rainbows and sunshines to like something pretty dark. But we did actually learn a lot from it. Yeah, and that's the good news, right? So everything that we learned from that, both how we ended up um, managing the tech side of it, how do we do conversational bots and how do we have them adapt and learn without falling into a, you know, a dark, dark place. Like all of that ended up getting rolled into the topic we're talking about today, which is that bot framework um, and the tool sets. Like sometimes you just have to fall down the stairs so that you can figure out exactly how many stairs there are before you hit the landing. And I feel like Tay was a great example of that for Microsoft. No, I think so. I think so. Although it was, you know, it did kind of prove like the adage, like never tweet. And, and yeah, you know, like yeah. there's, there's something to be said about that says me who spends like 20 hours a day on Twitter. Well, and that's, that's our, uh, that's our challenge this week. So uh, we've got it up there on the screen that the question that we're asking this week is what's the cringiest or most awkward interaction that you've ever had with a chatbot? And we know you have them. Uh, any technology that starts and then evolves over time at the beginning, it's going to be a little bit sketch. And so what we want to hear from the audience is use that hello world challenge hashtag and tell us what's the most awkward interaction that you've ever had with a bot. And as always, we'll turn around and share the best of those uh, stories with everybody on air tomorrow. But thank you, Christina, for jumping back in and wardrobe change and all sharing the, uh, the Tay knowledge. Um, and we can't see every, we can't wait to see everybody's responses and we'll send it back over to Laurent. Oh my God. I love so much you're in this segment. I literally have tears in my eyes. This was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much, Christina and Jeremiah for this amazing story. I can't wait to hear what people are going to tell us. And that will be tomorrow in the show with Amy and Dean. So last week, we welcomed Dan Wallin to the show, and we started a special four-week segment about Microsoft Graph. And this week, I'm really, really pleased to welcome Aicha on the show. And Aicha is going to talk to us about Microsoft Graph Toolkit. How are you doing, Aicha? Hi, Lauren. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm very good. Thank you so much. So can you tell us what is a Microsoft Graph Toolkit? Sure. So Microsoft Graph Toolkit is a collection of uh, reusable web components and authentication providers that help us connect with Microsoft Graph. Mm -hmm. As you uh, as you know as well, the biggest concern for a lot of developers is adding authentication piece in oh, yeah. their own applications. Uh, sometimes it's too complex for some of us. So Microsoft Graph Toolkit is basically focusing on simplifying the authentication and getting data from Microsoft 365 with a couple lines of code. 
So the most popular component in the graph toolkit, and it was actually the very first one they published, is the login component mm -hmm. that helps uh, that literally helps us build the authentication with two lines of code. And they also have many other components that help us getting all the other data uh, types in Microsoft 365, such as getting the calendar items, uh, getting the calendar events using the agenda uh, component, or getting to-do tasks from the to-do component and people profiles and many more. So basically uh, what it does is uh, giving us all the authentication uh, flow in the background with uh, two, three lines of code. Plus we have the pre-built UI, uh, which if you're a new learner or beginner, then you don't need to worry about building the UI piece either. So you just copy paste one, two lines of code and you're done. That's really awesome. Uh, is there anywhere that people can learn about uh, those components and also practice them? Yes, yeah, so there's a great place for that. Um, we mm -hmm. call it Microsoft Graph Toolkit Playground. Let me mm -hmm. quickly show you what it looks like. So if you go to mgt.dev, um, then you will be directed to the playground. On the left side, you see the components. And um, on the right side, uh, there is a place where we can edit everything about the components. And whenever we change anything, it will affect the canvas. You will see uh, whatever we change directly in the canvas. So let's try real quick, try to change our component, the agenda component. I will quickly add a attribute um, group by day. So this will group all events uh, by day. And as you see, the data under the canvas, the behavior of the component has automatically changed, which is awesome because if you want to practice what are the capabilities of these components, I think it's really great to do all these practice in mgt.dev, which is the playground. If you want to check out what, what else is available for that specific component, you can go to docs right next to canvas, and you will see there are a lot of attributes, properties, CSS, um, properties as well. So you can basically customize, change the behavior of the component and so on. Let's check out other components such as MGT login. As you see, there's a sign in button and then we have the profile and we literally do that with the one line of HTML. And let's check out MGT people. This brings us all the people we want to show and we can also change the behavior by just customizing the show max we can just change it to three and data behavior will automatically change. Mm -hmm. So in a very simple way, and uh, this is Microsoft Graph Toolkit components. Awesome. Well, it looks really good and uh, playing like that in the playground is really very useful. Uh, where can developers start learning everything about Microsoft Graph Toolkit? So we recently published a great module at Microsoft Learn. It is called Get Started with Microsoft Graph Toolkit. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit more? What can learners get when they complete the module? First of all, uh, all, all learners, even the beginners, can complete this module less than 30 minutes. Basically, oh. they, they don't need any background of knowing either graph or the authentication much. They can just jump into the module. And first of all, they will learn what is in Microsoft Graph Toolkit, what are the providers, what are the components. And we also have hands-on practice uh, in the module. They will build an application, and then they will practice how to use these components and providers in a real app. Fantastic. And one of the reasons why you're here, apart from the fact that, you know, it's an awesome presentation you're giving, uh, you also have a great event coming up in two weeks. It's called Learn Together. So tell us more about that. 
Yes, so we're super excited for that. Um, Learn Together, Build Apps with Microsoft Graph it will be happening in April 14th. We, mm-hmm. Our team is very excited for that. And uh, we will discover Microsoft Graph together with our learners. And we also have a special session for Microsoft Graph Toolkit. If you want to deep dive more about the Graph Toolkit, you can also join. I will see all of you in our event. That's really cool. Let's bring back Suze to uh, the screen. Hey, Suze, did you like it? It's awesome, right? Yes, it's awesome. Yeah, and it's great having you on the show, Aicha. It's your first time, right? So tell us, what do you think of it? Like, did you have a good time? Wow, it was so much fun. Like, uh, we literally learned a lot in such a short time. So thanks for having me. It was really fun. Awesome. Sounds like it's a great start to a terrific Tuesday. So let's do a quick recap for this week's episode and bring everybody back on the screen, shall we? Absolutely. And at first, we talk about Safer Internet Day and Power Automate Desktop. And then Aaron talked to us about Python Fire. So this is uh, also a very great component. You can check everything up in our show notes at uh, ak.ms slash hello world. We had Christina on the show like every Tuesday. Christina gave us the latest news. And then big surprise, we saw Christina again because there is never enough Christina on the screen with Jeremiah this time to talk about AI, chatbots, and many horror stories. And and really, we can't wait about hearing your horror stories tomorrow. And finally, we had Aicha talking to us about the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. We're almost at the end of the show. So everything, every link, every feedback from you is on ak.ms slash hello world. We don't have much time left. So uh, up to you soon for the closing. Yep, that's right. We have to bounce now, but you should stay on because next up on Learn TV, we have PowerShell Deep Dive with our friends Pierre Roman, Joey Ayalo, and Jason Helmick. So see you.